3: Good morning, this is Ben and Kelly. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Please be seated. we got a great show for you today. We're broadcasting live, as usual, from the Internet Law Center in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. And as usual, our show notes can be found at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Radio. So the the American with Disabilities Act was passed in 1990, which actually happens to be the year before the very first website. Yet last year, there were over 800 federal lawsuits over website accessibility issues. And so to kind of walk us through how ADA and website accessibility intersect, we have um, returning guest Heather Antoine of the Antoine Law Group in Beverly Hills, along with Kathy Walbin. She's the founder of the Interactive Accessibility, and um, from in Boston, but who's calling in from D.C. Um, can you hear us?
0: Can hear you great.
3: Great, thank you for joining us. And uh, so I guess let's. Um, why don't you each just tell us a little bit about yourselves and um, and then we can go into ADA.
4: Well, hi everyone, I'm Heather Antoine. I am an internet and IP lawyer and litigator here in LA as well. Um, What we do here is really protect a company's brand. We maintain IP portfolios and protect businesses. We specialize in working with e-commerce, SaaS app and internet companies um, and handle a lot of privacy and cybersecurity issues as well. And Bennett, thanks so much for having me back on the show.
3: Great to have you and Kathy. Tell Great. us a little bit about interactive accessibility.
0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kathy Walbin. I'm CEO of Interactive Accessibility. Um, we are an accessibility company that focuses solely on digital accessibility. We help um, organizations across the U.S. and all different uh, areas um, but also internationally and really helping them understand um, what they need to do to make their digital communications accessible for people with disabilities. Um, I'm an invited expert on the accessibility guidelines um, called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines under the W3C, um, and so I've been very involved in uh, working on those those standards and just delighted to be here. So thank you for having us.
3: Great. Thank you. Now, I guess we should start at the beginning, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was one of the... Um, Marquee achievements of the George H.W. Bush administration signed in nineteen ninety. And um Heather, why don't you explain to us what it is and and kind of leads to how it gets to websites which were didn't exist when it was enacted?
4: Sure, yeah. So um some basic principle of the ADA is that people with disabilities should not be treated differently or in an inferior manner than people without disabilities. It was passed in 1990, um, and it covered, you know, state, local governments, places of public accommodation, commercial facilities, and transportation. The laws are actually enforced by the Department of Justice, um, who promulgated all the, the regulations to implement the law. Um, And it was obviously adopted before the Internet came into widespread use. And the regulations haven't changed to address the Internet and websites since. There's obviously been a lot of litigation on this topic, as you mentioned. Um, And one of the things that's come out through this is, you know, are websites places of public accommodation? And most of the courts have ruled that, yes, in fact they are places of public accommodation because that covers hotels and restaurants and theaters and auditoriums. And all of those facilities have corresponding websites for the most part. And so the DOJ and most courts have taken the position. Yes. In fact, the websites are also places of public accommodation. And so therefore the ADA applies to it.
3: And, um, and so, how how was that through initially through the Justice Department opinions or litigation or
4: right? So that's where it gets really fun. Um, the DOJ has taken these positions through by basically inserting themselves into lawsuits. They have not actually issued any regulations, and they have not given people time to cure the defects. Um, for instance, when the EU adopted these regulations and and the eu requires that everyone is wcag compliant um they gave people two years to comply in the u.s that has not happened so it really began in in two thousand. Let, inter- let me interrupt you sure. one bit
3: wcag um i don't think our listeners would know what that means
4: those are the web content accessibility guidelines
3: great thank you
4: and um as far as the technical part of that i'm going to let kathy handle that uh i'm sure a little bit later but i'll i'll take care of the the legal side of it um but so basically starting in 2010 the doj issued what was called an advanced notice of proposed rulemaking and they explained that they wanted to know whether websites they they sought input as to whether websites should become WCAG Mm 2.0 compliant. Um, That was then basically a lot of um, comments were given and 440 actually were given. And so by the fall of 2014, they said that they would follow through and potentially issue regulations in 2015. And then in 2015, they said they've decided to extend the period to issue regulations and that they expected to do it in 2018 by the time 2016 rolled around they issued a supplemental advance notice of rulemaking Um, and since then it was first put on to the inactive regulations list when the trump administration took took over and now it's completely been pulled off so we have no regulations to be had in the near future at all.
3: And, um, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, so you, you have the, the DOJ pushing this, but also, um, was it the American Council for the Blind? Weren't they also doing private uh, lawsuits to try to you know, get attend, bring attention to this issue and, and try to get um, kind of settlement agreements where companies would agree to comply?
4: Yes, there's a there's a couple of companies that have been doing that um, that were litigating for that reason. Um, I'm sorry, National
3: Federation for the Blind. I think
4: right, yeah, right to try to bring attention to this, which is by the way something that's very important. People with disabilities should be able to access the internet. That is something that should happen, Um, and. In my opinion, my opinion only, um, the regulations should be issued to say that and people should be given the time necessary to bring their websites up to date. Um, And, you know, there's a number of organizations that have really championed this cause. In the meantime, there's also been a lot of private litigation as well. Um, So you have a lot of law firms, um, plaintiffs, law firms in Florida, in California, in Pennsylvania who have been suing companies For lack of accessibility. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that this kind of came about is because starting in 2011 to to about 2016, there were several cases where the DOJ inserted themselves into a case um, and or or had a consent decree or settlement agreement with a company such as H&R Block or Law Schools Admissions Council um, and said that they had to be WCAG 2.0 compliant.
3: Okay. Now you said that the, it's it's languished or completely died on the Trump administration. Have, has they voiced any reason for why this is, or is this, there's just a special place in hell for these type of regulations?
4: <laughs> I, I uh, You know, Kathy, correct me if I'm wrong on this. I believe the Trump administration just doesn't like regulations. I don't think they've issued comment on it, but I could be wrong.
0: So when Trump came into office, he said that in order for new regulations to go into place, they had to remove, um, I guess, remove one
3: for
0: one. Yeah, uh, impact. And that wouldn't be the case um, necessarily with uh, adopting the, you know, and saying that the, uh, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines applies to the Internet And so, and those are the right, you know, those regulations. And so we're really left with, um, you know, companies uh, trying to figure out how to um, comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act when there is no regulations and all you need to do is say, okay, well, I need to make my website or my my document or my mobile application, uh, you know, accessible to people with disabilities. And it's really put everybody at a disadvantage because, um you know companies then don't know where to go or or how to to make something accessible
3: so this in essence could be regulated by the courts the the, the most expensive way to do it
4: I and mean, right. it, it kind of is been it has been regulated yeah. by the courts and and to be honest I will tell you that um I've seen some some things lately where clients of mine have been sued and you know or threatened to be sued and before before I even get a chance to respond to the demand letter, I'll have a, a demand that's some amount that's you know clearly not for the benefit of the plaintiff. Um, I think there's a, a rash of lawsuits that are that are unfortunate at this
3: point. Well, are you saying that lawyers are being opportunistic, really? Yes. <laughs> uh, explain that for me, Heather. I'm having a hard time grappling with that.
4: Yeah, well, that's another to- a topic for another day, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess so we go we have ADA and people say hey this is web thing it, it, we probably should apply it to that. Yeah, but ex- what exactly compliance means is is uncertain. And and then at the same time you have the WCAG and why do not we explain WCAG how that came about? And is it fair to say that that is the prevailing standard of what you should do?
0: So the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which uh, is short form WCAG, most of us say WCAG, so that's where that uh, weird acronym (laughs) comes from. Um, It was a standard that was developed by the W3C, the World Wide Web Consortium. The World Wide Web Consortium, um, is the standards body that also creates the coding standards for HTML, CSS, um, the coding language that comes, uh, you know, is used for for the web, and, and many more things. Right. Um, and so as part of that, they have the Web Accessibility Initiative. Um, and under the Web Accessibility Initiative, they have uh, created the WCAG guidelines, these uh, guidelines became an ISO standard in October of 2012. Um, and the reason that's really important is because it really opened the uh, door to many countries adopting um, these uh, guidelines as their standard for accessibility.
3: Sure. You, just to, uh, for acronym purposes, ISO standard. Could you explain what that is?
0: Uh, the International Standards uh, Association. Or, Organization is that right, anybody, uh, Heather? Do you know?
4: It's um, the International Organization for Standardization. Thank
0: you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the uh, yeah the you know so we have um, because it's now recognized as an official standard. Um, the in the United States we have the federal guidelines which are called Section Five Hundred Eight, and it's part of the Rehabilitation Act. Um, In January of 2017, the U.S. uh, Access Board um, issued a new set of uh, standards under Section 508, which uh, adopted the WCAG 2.0 success criteria at a level A and a level AA. There's actually three levels of um, conformance under the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines And if you look at around the world, um, most countries, and if you look at the the lawsuits that we've mentioned um, earlier, um, all of them have gone um, and looked at mostly a, both level A um, or a level A and double A. So in January of 2018, um, was really the date when those uh, the new Section 508 standards uh, came into it to effect, and all federal federal agencies and anybody who uh, procures to the federal government or gets uh, funding from the government needs to comply with the revised Section 508 standards. So if you fall under those categories, um, you do need to uh, conform to the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Um, And many of the the cases have have used this as as its benchmark. There is no other standards out there for accessibility. So really we don't have many other options to look at.
4: And I'll just real quick, I'll throw in that the reason um, section 508 updates were not considered new was because they were, for some reason enacted in 1998 through the Rehabilitation Act that already required federal agencies to make their electronic and IT accessible to people with disabilities.
3: And so, did the did the re- I'm sorry, go ahead Heather. No, go ahead. Did the Rehabilitation Act apply just to government or was it private sector as well?
4: To federal agencies only.
3: Okay. And so why don't we um, dive in and start start our dive we've got to take a break in a minute or two. But why don't we dive into a little bit about what exactly accessibility means. So what what is like a, a 60 second definition of accessibility
0: Yeah, so when we're looking at accessibility, we're really making sure that people with disabilities, so a person who's blind, a person who has low vision, a person with a mobility impairment, a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, those with a cognitive or a learning disability, can access the same content and perform the same functions that a person who, who doesn't have um, a disability or challenges in accessing information. Um, and so really what we're looking at um, when we're talking about accessibility is making sure that everybody, um, regardless of your abilities, um, have a uh, equal experience and can do the same things as everyone else.
3: And um, so this might be a good point to take a break and give um, our our advertisers an experience and a chance to give you an experience. Um, so we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. All of your favorite webmasterradio.fm programs on-air and on-demand 24-7. Find our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you download your podcasts. Add some podcasts to your playlist as part of a better profit margin. More refreshing talk radio on-air and on-demand 24-7. Only on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Start your search engine and send your servers into overdrive. It's WebmasterRadio.fm, steering you into the winner's circle. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information (laughs) on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
3: And we're back and we're talking about website accessibility and um, Kathy you you were before the break you were explaining uh, in general what website accessibility is and why don't we drill down on really what that means and what that if I'm looking if I'm an internet business looking at my website wait what are the things I should be looking at?
0: Yeah that's uh, it's a question I get all the time. Um, Businesses uh, struggle to really understand what it really means to be accessible or what they need to do. Um, the bottom line, really, what we're looking to achieve is to make sure that a person with a disability who is going to be accessing your, say, your website in a different way, make sure that it works with the tools uh, that they use. So when we are looking at the, uh, you know, a person blind, for example, Um, A sighted person can see everything that's on the screen and they'll know that you've got your logo or that you have this image uh, on there or that you have a heading and they'll know it's a heading because it's bigger and it's bolder. Well, if you think about uh, a person who is blind, you probably are wondering, well, how do they get that information? I can, you know, me as a sighted person, I can look at it and I can read that information. They're going to be using a software program called a screen reader. And a screen reader is a program that produces an auditory version of what uh, visual Person, a visual user would see on the screen. And so when we're looking at accessibility, um, we write code that gets interpreted by the browsers to show a visual view of the screen. Um, well, these tools that people with disabilities use, um, will uh, take the underlying code and produce a different uh, version for the end user in a way that they can understand. So for a person who is uh who is blind they will get an auditory uh, a version of all that and so uh the underlying code needs to have the information in it so that the the tools that they use software programs can interpret it correctly and so when we're looking at accessibility some of the things that we need to start thinking about is one, do we have, um, is our, our websites, is the code that we've created going to work with these tools that people with disabilities use? And often what this means is that we're looking and making sure that we are in conformance with the web content accessibility guidelines, because that's going to tell us what we need to do in order to make it work with these tools.
3: So let let's walk through some examples. Um, icons.
0: Yeah. So for icons, um, a, a sighted person will know what the purpose of that image is. And so, right. for example, if I have a search box and I have the little magnifying glass. I know because it's a magnifying glass. Hey, that's used for that's a search button. I know what action it's going to be. Well, for a screen reader user, um, they need to have that same information. So, in the underlying code, if I label that as a search button, then the the search uh, the screen reader will say, "Hey, this is a search button," and they will also know the purpose of that. Um, If we have an image with text on the page, for example. the screen reader is going to need to know what that text is, so that they can have uh, and get the same information that everybody else is is uh, getting.
3: And and you can do that by um, putting and tagging the photo to have that information. Correct.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And uh, for those who are technical out there, that's done um, in the HTML code using the alt attribute on an image uh element and so it's it's often not difficult i think the hardest thing for companies today is to really understand what is it that i need to do what's all these things that i need to put in and make sure that's in my uh code so that it can be interpreted correctly by these tools
3: now i'm dying to know and this probably isn't the most substantive um (laughs) question (laughs) but what do you do about emojis
0: Oh, so emojis. Actually, <laughs> Apple has come up with some really cool emojis, and all of those have actually been described. And so you can actually, um, if you listen to them with the screen reader, um, some of them are just hilarious. But yeah, they describe what those are um, so that they get the same experience as everyone else.
3: So where do people trip up the most?
0: I think the the... For most of what we're talking about, this information that we need to have in the underlying code, um, I think the hardest thing for companies is that it's not visible. It's not something that I can say, yes, I've done well for accessibility or I haven't just by looking at the screen because it's in the underlying code and it's right. not something that is visible. And so really when we're looking at um, you know the websites or documents or emails or mobile, um, it's it's a challenge because they don't know when they're done. Um, the number one accessibility issue and probably the, the biggest issue that um, actually starts uh, um, complaints from people with disabilities and, and lawsuits is uh, keyboard access. If a if you can't access your website by just using the keyboard, put your mouse aside. If right. I can't use the tab key and if I can't press the enter or the spacebar key on a button, I can't activate it. You're blocking a person from right, actually. Because I'm, I'm using.
3: blind, the the mouse has no value
0: exactly but we're not just talking about people who are blind we're also talking about people with mobility impairments true and uh, many of those users are going to be using um, alternate keyboards Uh, they're going to be using ultra eye tracking they're going to use uh, sip and puff devices which is something I can blow into and I can control it there's a lot of really interesting devices but all of those mimic keyboard input
3: and so for example Stephen Hawking how did he how did he access the web
0: yeah, so he had um, a, a number of different ways that he could um, interact. Um, a lot of it was eye gaze, um, and so you could, uh, ch- you know, tracking uh, with, their, with your eyes. Um, well, in terms of the actual accessibility,
4: the funny thing is I do not – advise on this topic which is a good thing to discuss because you know as a as a lawyer who handles these issues and handles the litigation relating to it and the law relating to it i'm often asked you know well do we need closed captioning on all of our videos or something like that and i generally refer all of the answers to those questions to someone like Kathy, Kathy. Um, because they handle the technical side. They can train the team. They're the ones who really have the knowledge base to say how you code things. Frankly, as much as I wish I knew how to code, I don't yet. I would love right. to teach myself at some point, but yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah I have a, a client who's a web developer who actually did teach herself. Uh, she's didn't, didn't have a job at, way back in the nineties and just decided, okay, I'll think I'll learn this thing, but um, yeah. I'm back.
0: Oh there great. You go.
3: Yes, thank you. Sorry about the. I um, hope it wasn't anything I said, but
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Sorry,
3: we no. were talking about Stephen. We were talking about Stephen Hawking and on uh, um, how he might access the web, and you were explaining how he would use an an eye pointer, so to speak, and right. uh, are you there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, um, if I'm a website owner, which I yes. am, I guess <laughs> it's not. <laughs> that's not a hard hypothetical. Let's let's really be bold. Um, if, as a, is is there a way? Are there any uh, places I can go to to check whether I'm compliant or not? Or is there a, a tool? Any tools for um, to find out if I'm even close?
0: Yeah. So that's a really good question. Um, there are tools out there that can, um, they're called automated checkers. Um, many uh, users like the uh, WebAIM um, toolbar. Uh, there's uh, the, a number of different tools that are out there. Um, lots of free tools. There's paid tools. And those will check um, to see if you have some technical issues. The problem is is that um, that can only capture about 30 to 40% of the actual accessibility issues on your site. But it's a good starting place. Um, If you have a lot of issues that come up when you're testing it through an automated checker, then you're going to have a... you know, you you have some pretty major problems because that's really the low hanging fruit that you can do to fix. Start
3: fixing right. Your so, if, if I'm totally in left field when it comes to accessibility, this a site like that will flag it, right?
0: That will flag it. But just because you pass that those checks, that's, yeah, does not mean that you're actually accessible. And I think that's one of the things that many of our clients get caught in and they say, oh, but I thought I was accessible because, hey, I I passed this tool. And it definitely does not mean that it's actually, um, you know, that you're in conformance with the accessibility guidelines. And it doesn't mean that it's going to work with a screen reader, for example. Um, And so there's a lot more that you need to do other than just testing with an automated tool.
3: It's not a get out out of jail card. It's, uh, you know, congratulations. You've at least you know, made the the rudimentary steps necessary and now um, you should talk to someone else about um, whether you're fully compliant.
0: Right, and we work with a lot of organizations. So typically what we would do is we uh, will use these automated tools to help make our reviews um, more uh, efficient, but then we will actually audit and test websites um, against the accessibility guidelines, and also test with the tools that people with disabilities use, such as screen readers. And the two uh, leading screen readers in the in the U.S. that are used is one called JAWS. It stands for Job Access With Speech, and the other dun, one dun, dun. is a free dun, dun, screen dun, dun, dun. reader, uh, which is NVDA, <laughs> which stands for Non Visual Disability Access.
3: Okay, I like JAWS better. That sounds cooler. Um, <laughs> not too many endorsements on here but
0: well and they um, actually have their little logo is like the little jaws uh yeah the uh the shark (laughs) so it actually is a pretty cool and and are
3: they based in eggertown
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know that i don't know um but it's uh freedom scientific is the company that uh that uh produces the uh jaws software
3: no um Although Edgar Town wasn't the fictional town, but uh, I think that's why they filmed it. So, um, when people call you, and what is it? Often I've got I got a I got a letter from someone like Heather or other people, or is it? You know, I, I need I'm I'm trying to figure this out.
4: To To be clear, one one thing I've never actually sent one of these letters. That's, I'm only on the defense of these letters. You, Heather, I just want to make you. that entirely clear. Um,
0: yeah. Go ahead. So many, many times it's because they have received a a demand letter and they don't know what to do. Um, And so we really help companies uh, first figure out if those demand letters are valid because there is automated tools also can have a lot of false positives. So just because you don't pass something doesn't mean that you actually have an issue either. So it's a little bit challenging there. And many of these uh, demand letters are actually uh, just being generated from running an automated tool. And so, uh, you know, a lot of the times we're looking and helping them understand just what is accessibility? What does it mean? How does a person who's blind use it, use the website? What are we really trying to do? And then looking at where they have um, accessibility issues, and working with their designers, working with their developers, uh, working t- with them to get their site into conformance so that it does work with the tools uh, that are being used, like the screen readers.
3: So um, we just talked about you know JAWS and the other programs that you can use to to check your whether you're um, you know at least in the ballpark of compliance. And which is a, a great tool, but it just occurred to me that that is a goldmine tool for a plaintiff's lawyer because they just have to run that, and then boom, if they get hits, um, they now have the next 10, you know, 10, 100, 1,000 demand letters to send out.
0: That is correct, and you'll see this. Um, uh, we've, we've seen hundreds of these demand letters, and they're basically. Um, you know, they are pulling the details from automated tools. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that you can do um, kind of as a proactive step is to make sure that, um, one, that you're looking at the results of the automated um, checkers and, you know, starting to address those. But my word of caution to anybody who starts to look at an automated tool Make sure that you understand what it's telling you to do, because I have seen companies try to fix their websites and actually make it worse by trying to, um, you know, to pass the, uh, the automated check. So you have to make sure that you're actually correcting it uh, in the right way.
3: Ah, the, the problem of um, feigned feigned knowledge about what what the topic is, I guess, was the or, or dilemma we're seeing in not just the web development but elsewhere. But um, and so, when people come to you, what is the most common problem that they have, other than having a demand letter to respond to?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, not all of our uh, not all of the clients that we work with have actually gotten a demand letter. Um, You know, a lot of the times, too, they're trying to reach specific audiences. If we look at the aging population, especially here in the U.S., um, you know, they're going to, you know, their eyesight's deteriorating. They're having problems with fine motor movement. They're having um, memory issues. Those are all the same challenges that um, people with disabilities have. And so when you're trying to reach out to audiences and making sure that your products work for everybody... Um, you're incorporating a lot of what we do um, for, you know, a user who's using a screen reader.
3: And so so is this really, it must be, I mean, obviously it's an exciting time for this area because it's nascent. It's only, you know, the litigation started, I think, what, in 2009 or ish. And, but we also have a couple of things that are driving this being more important. We have an aging population. Um, and you have uh, pharmaceutical companies or other medical tech companies that would want to reach, you know, populations that are suffering from these type of afflictions and, um, you, know, re, you know, cornea, um, not, what's, the mis- what's the thing when you're cornea erodes, I forget the name of it, um, or other, uh, other, other issues. And this, it, making sure that you can do so is, is really important to their bottom line.
0: Oh, absolutely. It is, a, it is a win. But if you also think of mobile, mobiles really changed the way that everybody is consuming information today. Sure. And when we are using our mobile device, we all face challenges that people with disabilities uh, face every day. We have smaller screens. It's harder to see that, that small point on there. And then, right. you, you know, you have to pinch and zoom and then when you, you know, if it doesn't reflow, you're having to scroll left to right, top to bottom and you can lose your spot easy. Or you might be outside in bright sunlight and it might be a lot harder to see your screen. So you're you're in effect having the same challenges as a person with low vision. Um, you may be in a noisy place so you can't hear the audio. So now you're relying right. on, on captions for the video, for example, and other audio cues. Um, so we're not just today. Uh, making your websites and your applications and your documents accessible actually opens it up to being able to be used in all different situations, and including mobile, which is uh, huge today for for companies and a huge strategy um, and way that they're reaching their consumers.
4: Now, do and you I think, know, I ahead think ahead awareness that. in general is growing, which is really good. Um, you know, Three years ago, probably the first time that I got one of these demand letters and, and had to handle it. Not the only time people reached out to me was when they received a demand letter. Right. And now, I, I mean, just last week I had someone reach out to me, and the entire email said, ADA website compliance. Is this something I should be doing? <laughs> you know, so so there is a lot
3: see. of yeah. <laughs> that's How long did it take you to respond to that one, Heather?
4: <laughs> it didn't take long. I actually just said, "Yeah, let's hop on a call." But um, you know, that's that's great to get to the point where people are proactively. Looking for someone like myself, or looking for someone like Kathy um, to work with to to find out what they need to do. That means the knowledge is spreading, and that's you know it could have been done faster through you know some DOJ guidance. But in lieu of that, we <laughs> we're we're getting it done anyways.
3: So because ADA is a federal law, that's being driven by um, DOJ. But are there state? ADAs and are there state attorney generals also pushing this
4: you know that that's not something i've seen
0: actually i would have to look Maybe into because that because it
3: preempted and, everything that could be the problem but
0: that yeah many states have um adopted the section 508 standards or the web content accessibility um guidelines and so many states will have their own um their own set uh, that they're looking for, and you can usually find those on the state websites um, for that they're they're complying with for for state uh, state communications.
3: Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about updates to the WCAG standard. Um, after these messages, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report only on Webmaster Radio FM.
2: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. WebmasterRadio.fm. Online, anytime. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and
3: Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and you're listening to Cyber Law and Pancake Report. Um... And we're talking about ADA compliance. Heather, what did you think about the uh, IHOP name change and the uh, ABA um, trolling them on that? I,
4: I thought it was fantastic. Honestly, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a troll, but it was very entertaining to me. And um, IHOB is pretty bad as far as abbreviations sound. It, so, it does, yeah, you know. And, yeah. and then
3: I love the slogan, pancakes delayed is pancakes denied. But um, <laughs> <laughs> any event, that's just a little IP geek geeking out on um, IHOP's bed launch of its new name, um, which coincided, co- coincided with uh, Macedonia changing the nation name to, um, I think it was Northern the Macedonia. Repu-
4: Northern Republic of Macedonia, yeah, I believe. Exactly. Yeah,
3: exactly. Um, you know, resolving a, you know, Generation long dispute with Greece. So um, and of course, Kathy, that's why we brought you on to talk about Macedonia. No. um, (laughs) (laughs) It's these nuances that are really important in a radio show. Um, So WCAG has updated its standards and and what has changed in in the new uh, update?
0: Yeah, so the um, Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.1 was actually released June 5th, so it's hot off the presses. Um, in The um, the reason we have a new st- uh, set of uh, standards is because technology has changed since the WCAG 2.0 came out, and um, we also have new types of devices and new ways that we're interacting. And so mobile was a key uh, reason why there was a... Um, a uh, part of it, a new standard as well as there's new things that we need to do for users with low vision um, and users with cognitive or learning disabilities or things that we can now do from a technical standpoint that we couldn't do five or six years ago because technology hadn't uh, caught up you know wasn't there and it wasn't possible to implement um, and so these new requirements are really f- uh, filling in gaps and user needs Um, I uh, led the Mobile Accessibility Task Force, which uh, has added the new mobile requirements to the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.1. And when we look at that, the new requirements that are in there is about speech input because we're not just now using our keyboards or our mice to uh, interact, but we're doing things directly through speech. Um, Probably if you think about how you're using your mobile device, um, you're probably not typing on the keypad all the time. You're probably dictating in um, and trying to do things through speech. And so there's new challenges and challenges that uh, people who use speech uh, on their desktop too face. Um, uh, but we also have touch uh, as a primary way that we're interacting um, today. Um touch screens exist on laptops, on desktops, and on mobile. And on mobile, it's primarily the way that you're interacting. And so there's new requirements around making sure that touch is going to work for a person, for example, who has um, hand tremors or uh, has difficulty using touch. Um, we also are looking at the different input methods. With mobile, we've got all sorts of different sensors that are part of our device. Um, think of uh, you know, shaking to undo. Well, if I'm a user with a disability who can't shake the device, and if that's the only way that I can do something, then I'm actually blocking them from performing that function, and so there's some new requirements around that where we have to have also, a, you know, a redundant way to do um, to do uh, functions that are related to, uh, you know, to the device sensors. For example, we also need to make sure that it works in both portrait and landscape mode. So if I have my device that's uh, anchored to my wheelchair, for example, and I can only view it in, um, you know, landscape mode, then I can, you know, I can use my device and I can still see all the content. Um, There's also a lot of things now where uh, we're using a lot more icons to convey information. And under the 2.0 standards, uh, there was an accessibility guideline around color contrast and making sure that a person could read the text. But now we're using icons and graphs and charts and all of this rich content um, that conveys so much information that is a hard for a person with low vision to see. And so now there's a new requirement, for example, that also requires the same color contrast requirements um, for things that are non-text that are conveying information that we need to interact with. So that gives you some of uh, the, um, you know, some of the, the changes uh, to the accessibility guidelines If you look at the WCAG 2.1, it does include all of 2.0. So if you're trying to get into conformance and you say, oh, I'd like to use the 2.1 standards, um, then you'll know that you also will uh, comply uh, with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines 2.0 as well.
3: So we're we're running down close to the end, but we have some time but left. And I want to ask you this question: If you had, uh, I don't know if you ever seen Moonstruck, where Shear slaps Nicholas Cage and says, "Snap out of it." If you had, you know, a minute or so, just to to tell a web website owners, you know, what what's the one thing you wish that you could get through to them? What would it be?
0: <laughs> test test your website with the keyboard. <laughs> because that is the number one barrier today um, on, on the web is that, um, you know, when we're designing, when the developers are doing it, they're using their mice. They're not using the keyboard. And so there's so many functions on the website that just can't be done. in um, critical functions like a navigation bar. You can't, you know, expand a drop down menu using the keyboard. Well, if you can't expand it, you can't click on it. You can't get through, um, you know, to the different pages. So there's... Right. You know, and everybody can do that. You don't need any specialized software for that. Everybody has a keyboard attached to their laptop or their desktop, um, you know, so it's a simple test. And so if we could do that, we would be making the world, uh, you know, the online world so much easier for, for so many users just by doing that one little thing.
3: Just by doing that. So um as we run, we're running down. Uh, are there anything, Kathy, that you want to announce in terms of, you know, presentations or other, other events that, you know, are, are we have information on both guests on our show notes at um, CyberlawRadio.wordpress, including their webpage and Twitter account. But anything you want to announce in the time we have left?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is often a scary thing for organizations. You know, hearing that you're not accessible, you're not into compliance and trying to figure out how to make something accessible, you know, that's what we help organizations with every day. Um, And we're always more than welcome to answer any questions that you have around the accessibility guidelines or, or, you know, trying to figure this out. So if anybody does have any questions, uh, feel free to reach out to me. My contact information will be... um, uh, online, and I'm I'm always more than welcome. Uh, We'd love to answer questions that people have.
3: Heather, what about you?
4: I will throw in the the same acknowledgement there. I mean, it, a lot of times, receiving a demand letter is a very, very scary thing, um, and and there's things you can do to mitigate that that fear and and take care of it. So, if anyone ever has any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me as well. Um, and yeah, we're here.
3: Any any events you want to announce or
4: um, y- well yes so the IP section, which is the intellectual property section of the California Lawyers Association which Bennett and I are both members of um, next Thursday is having its entertainment and sports conference at the Lowes in Hollywood um, and it's going to be an amazing all-day conference. I believe Bennett have you linked? That there's yeah
3: there's there's information on in the show notes on it um or you can just follow um cla underscore ip on twitter and get more information but yeah there's a link to the conference in our show notes um and in addition there's also you may in a past show we had um we had a guest to talk about the legal campaign to try to free um Saudi blogger Rafe Badawi and um And today at noon Pacific, we will be having the um, IP section's um, technology, internet, and privacy subcommittees um, monthly phone call. And he will be presenting on that. We'll also have a discussion about the new California email bill that recently passed uh, the assembly. And um, so we'll be talking about that today at noon. And again, there's information on on the show notes. And um, next week, let me highlight that uh, will have my law professor, um, Peter Edelman, um, who was a staffer for Bobby Kennedy, and we're going to talk about the 50th anniversary of the death of Bobby Kennedy and what that means today, next week. And uh, as usual, you can find more information about uh, our practice at internetlawcenter.net. Uh, we're a full-service internet firm. Uh, I want to thank our guests. You've been great, and uh, I hope... We brought it you know some clarity or further understanding to this issue. it's it's new for a lot of people. Heather, you must get a lot of people surprised that to even find out that this is an issue.
4: Uh, that would be an understatement. yes. when when they find <laughs> out they have to be compliant, they're they're usually first shocked and then go, what does that even mean? you know so yeah.
3: And I, I guess that's the, if you listen to the show, you, I think we know the answer to the second question is, well, we're still trying to figure that out. But um, <laughs> but at least we're making a lot of progress thanks to um, people like Kathy. And uh, I want to thank you both for joining us. I hope you had fun. Um, and stay tuned. We'll be back next week with more Cyber Law and Business Report. And until then, I'll definitely follow these two on Twitter and um, follow us at Cyber Law Radio. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week.